All right, we are in week three of restraints, and we're talking about the idea that every single one of us needs some personal restraints in our lives, that I'm a person who needs restraints, and so are you, because as we said from the beginning, a life lived without restraints never ends up actually as free as we think it is. We actually find freedom in being restrained, in being personally restrained, in choosing some restraints for ourselves so that no one else and nothing else or no, nothing else ever masters us so that we actually live free. That's why we said restraints are a choice, but they are not optional. That at some point along your, the way of life, either you choose your restraints or life will choose to restrain you. That someday maybe a legal system will have to restrain you. Or maybe someday you will be actually mastered by the thing that was one day, once upon a time, an expression of your freedom. So we're challenging you and we're challenging all of us throughout our church to choose some personal restraints, to set some personal boundaries so that nothing and no one else ever has to restrain you. Now, today we are talking about, about the, some restraints in the area of sex. Fun, right? Yeah, we're, we're, we're talking about this. And I, I, I want to say, I understand that talking about this can get kind of weird. Um, but one restraint that I actually learned just a few weeks ago as we were starting this series, Restraints, is that when you're starting a series called Restraints and you're looking for graphic ideas, if you have the idea, oh, I should do an image search around the word restraints, don't do an image search around the word restraints. That's just a fun little pastoral pro tip. Fun, right? The more you know. So now talking about sex, it can get weird, right? Like I remember when, when Jalen and I were dating, she was in, I, I was youth pastoring in Alamogordo. She was in her final year at NMSU and she was coming back and forth, living in Alamogordo, taking classes. But she was, she was a double major in so, social work and in psychology. And for her final semester of, of school, she had to take a class called Abnormal Human Sexuality, which is a terrible name for a class. It would make anyone not want to take it. Um, but she was taking this class and I was youth pastoring in Alamogordo. And, and one of the habits that we had as a, as, as a youth pastor, as a youth ministry team, is every Sunday night after youth group, we would go to the local Applebee's, you know, the most amazing restaurant in Alamogordo. We would go to Applebee's for, for half-price apps after youth group, and as a ministry team, we would kind of talk about the night. We would talk about what happened, talk about, you know, anything weird that had happened with students, and celebrate thing, good things that had happened with students, and we, it would usually be a really good time. But as Jalen was taking this class, one night after youth group, she started to talk about how how this particular class was going. And Jalen, as as some of you guys who know Jalen you know, know, sometimes when Jalen is talking about inappropriate things, she has this habit of being rather loud. And so Jalen is talking in the middle of the local Applebee's about this abnormal human sexuality class that she's taking and how she's gonna, by the end of this thing, be a, an expert in weird sex stuff. And, and I look over as she says that, and I notice that there's a local reporter sitting in the booth right next to us who's kind of leaning in and and looking with like this really weird face. And I just kind of pulled Jalen to the side. I said, hey, Jalen, maybe if you're going to talk about the abnormal human sexuality class, maybe you should you know, bring it down a little bit in volume. And she goes, why? And I said, because I can just picture the headline in the local paper tomorrow. Local youth pastor dates a girl who's taking a weird sex class. And so, you know, and so, we, so it, all, all of us know, like talking about sex, it can be weird. While sex is an important thing to talk about, it's also something that can make us feel very, very, very uncomfortable. Particularly, we can get really uncomfortable when a pastor like me gets involved. Matter of fact, when we do our pre-marriage counseling, there's a section and there's a session where we actually talk about sex within, within marriage and how it's an expression of love. We talk about all that kind of stuff. And, and, and whenever we get to that section, when we get to that session, my question to the couple is always like, so how much do you want to talk about sex with your pastor? And, and, and I, in the last three years, I've taken 13 couples through this, through this pre-marriage thing. 
And one couple has said, well, it seems like it's probably an important thing, and it's probably going to be awkward to talk about it with you, but we should talk about it, and so let's, so let's dive in. And the other 12 couples had said, oh, no, I don't want to do that at all. Can we please skip that? And no matter what the couple says, my response is, Cool. All right, so let's talk about sex because this is something that's important to talk about. This is something that's important for couples to talk about. This is something that's important for singles to talk about. This is important for people who are dating and engaged. That at any point along the way, sex is something that we need to talk about. And we particularly need to talk about restraints in the area of our sexuality. And because while it's uncomfortable, this is worth pushing through what's uncomfortable because especially in this area, we need to practice and exercise restraint. And here's why. Here's why. This is such a big deal. You can do more damage in a moment lacking restraint sexually than you can do in a lifetime of bad decisions in other areas. Let me say that one more time just so we can make sure it sinks in. You can do more damage in a moment lacking restraint sexually than you can do in a lifetime of bad decisions in other areas. See, people end up in counseling because of what happens in a moment. People end up addicted to pornography because of a moment that turned into a series of moments that turned into a habit that now masters someone. Families get blown up and kids go back and forth on the weekends because of what can happen in a moment. Bosses can compromise their reputation and their legacy and their integrity because of a decision made in a single moment. High-profile pastors, this happened just this week, High pro, happened again this week. High-profile pastors lose their ministry because of what happens in a moment. And far too often, those moments are things that could have been avoided and should have been avoided if the person had made some decisions along the way to exercise restraint and avoided some situations and temptations that they should have never had to face. Now, luckily though, luckily for us, God gives us guidance and God has a plan when it comes to our sexuality. Not because God wants to get all up in your bedroom, but because God doesn't want you to blow up your life and God doesn't want you to give away your freedom in when you don't have to. So today we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and these are some passages that should, at the, at the beginning, should be very familiar to us because two weeks ago we actually started in 1 Corinthians 6 around the idea, and this is where we got the idea for a series called Restraints and the idea of personal restraints. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. He says, food is for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. And then he says this. This is the new part. However, the body is not made for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And so here's the thing. The first thing I want to say today as we, talk, as we talk about sex and as we talk about restraints, the first thing we need to understand is that sexuality is a gift from God. Sexuality is a gift from God that somewhere as we stream this, as we live stream this, there are some masculine amens happening right now, like under your breath, like, amen, I've never agreed with a pastor more. That gifts from God, that this is important for us to understand, gifts from God always come with a purpose and they function best when used as God intended. That sexuality is a gift, God came up with it. Like that's a weird, crazy, cool thought, that cool thought that God actually gave us something as amazing as sexuality. Weird when we think about the fact that God came up with it, that there was one day in heaven, there was a laboratory and God was like cooking up great ideas. And he's like, oh man, I got this idea and I'm going to give it to the humans. Like, this is a fantastic thing. And the angels were like, what? What is it? Can, can we have something? He's like, nope, you can't have any of that. And so like, the, like God came up with sexuality. It is a gift from God. 
On the flip side of it, though, sexual immorality is Paul's term for any time our sexuality deviates from God's intended plan and purpose and context for the gift of sexuality that he gave us. And in the New Testament, that plan, that purpose, and that context was understood as an expression of love and intimacy between two married people. That sexuality is a gift from God and that exclusivity fuels intimacy, that it's supposed to be between a man and wife and that, and to build intimacy. And that's why it's a gift. And whenever it's in that plan and that purpose and that context, it is a gift from God. And what Paul is getting at here is simply this. There is a context where sexuality is a gift. And while you can do anything you want, you shouldn't do everything you want. Because in any other context, that thing that is a gift becomes a curse. It can become the thing that masters or controls you. It can become the thing that was once an expression of your freedom that now fills you with guilt. It can become the thing that was meant to fulfill you, but you are not fulfilled. You're stuck wanting more and wanting something else and something new and something different. See, you were made physically and emotionally and spiritually with a desire for sexual intimacy, but you were not made, what Paul is saying, you were not made for sexual immorality. It sounds like we might need some boundaries or might need some personal restraints maybe. It goes on in verse 14 to say this, God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now, as I read that, if you didn't at some point as I was reading that say, what now? You weren't really paying that close attention because Paul actually talked about the fact that in Corinth, there were followers of Jesus who were regularly visiting prostitutes. Let's buckle up. Like we said a couple weeks ago, sometimes this is going to get bumpy. Let's buckle up and talk about this. Here's why Paul had to bring this up. Corinth was a large city and an important port town in the Roman Empire. As a port city that was right on the sea, their natural deity that they worshipped was Poseidon, Lord of the Sea. Part of the worship of Poseidon was that it was customary at the temple to have temple prostitutes. Not trying to get graphic, just trying to describe what actually happened in Corinth. And so in order to please Poseidon, you paid a priest some money, you got a girl, you went into a room at the temple, you got your freak on, and when you were done, the gods were happy with your worship and maybe they would bless your voyage at sea. This is what happened. Does that sound messed up to anyone? Yeah. Now here's why I wanted to zoom in on this a little bit. Sometimes we have this tendency to think, to, to, to think less of what the Bible teaches about sexuality because we assume that the, Bible, that the message of the Bible and the commands and the instructions in the Bible in regards to sex were to people who living in a less complicated, more naturally pure, less likely to, to, to engage in, in sexual activity time than we live in today. And so we think, well, what was written then doesn't matter now because what was written then was written to some people who couldn't possibly have understood what we were going through now and the things that we deal with now. And so let me ask you this question. Does that sound any less complicated than anything that we deal with now? When it, when it, when it comes to, to sex, when it comes to intimacy, I mean, imagine, imagine being a husband or a wife in that time. And, and, and in that time, Every time your husband, if you're a wife, your husband has to go off to sea, you know that they're going to go to the temple and they're going to visit a prostitute before they go off to sea. I mean, just imagine the complication of like 
business that mixes with religion and all, all the crazy stuff that happened. I mean, this was an incredibly complicated and complex thing going on when it came to sex. This was no less complicated than anything we deal with today. And I bring that up because every culture and every context throughout human history has had difficulty figuring out appropriate lines and boundaries when it comes to sex. And I want to make sure we understand this, that God's word is powerful today because it was powerful then and there. What God says to us today about sexuality is powerful. What God said says to us today, what we read in scripture is powerful because it was powerful speaking to another complicated society dealing with the, the difficulty of figuring out complex and complicated relationships around the idea of sexuality. And so if God's word could bring clarity to that there, it can provide clarity today. And to every culture, God's message has stayed the same. There is a context and a purpose where this remains a gift. And anytime you remove it from that plan and that purpose and that context, it can become weird and it can become a curse. And so Paul then gives some instruction about how people should approach sexual immorality and how, how people should approach their sexuality. In verse 18, he says this, and this should be in big, bold words, big, bold letters. He said, flee sexual immorality. See, this is the message you want your kids to hear and live by. This is the message you want your spouse to live by. Unfortunately, way too many of us want something from the closest people in us that we don't actually do ourselves. Unfortunately, way too many of us live with a different F word where flee currently resides. We don't flee, we flirt. So often we live with a mindset of, well, what can I get away with? Well, how close can I get to the line before I cross the line? How, how close can I get to sin without sinning? This is why sometimes we ask the question, well, is it a sin to fill in the blank? And what we're asking there is, how close can I get to the line without crossing the line? And every time that we do that, we are not fleeing from immorality. We're flirting with it. We're getting right up to the line. That's flirting with sexual immorality. But Paul says, stop flirting with the line. Flee from the line. Stay as far away as you possibly can, which sounds, which sounds like an overreaction. It sounds like an overreaction. It sounds like a mom trying to keep their teenage daughter from getting pregnant, right? Like, that, like that's what this sounds like. It sounds like an overreaction. But Paul then is going to go on and he explains why this is not an overreaction. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. This is why flee isn't an overreaction. This is why flee isn't an overreaction, because when you take sex outside of its God-planned and God-purposed and God-given context, you might hurt someone else, and you might do something that crosses a legal line. You might do a lot of stuff, but you definitely hurt yourself. That when you cross the line in this area, you hurt you. That you hurt you. And while, uh, you know, Paul's saying, like, look, when you steal from someone... You steal from someone and they end up hurt, but you don't knowingly hurt yourself. When you tell a lie, you break someone else's trust, but you don't knowingly hurt yourself. He says, when you cross a line sexually, you hurt yourself and you know that and you choose it anyway. He says, to flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Then he goes on, he says this, don't you know, because, because Paul, based on what he was hearing, started to think these people don't know. They don't understand this yet, and maybe you might not know. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? He says, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. 
for you were bought at a price. See, you are not your own. I am not my own. Our freedom is not our own. This is what we talked about the very first week, that God bought you and God bought me and God bought our freedom when Jesus went to the cross, that Jesus paid the highest price that anyone could possibly pay when he paid his life for your life, when he paid his life for your freedom, when he paid his life for your peace with God, that God bought your freedom and Jesus paid the highest price. And so Paul's question is really simple. If our freedom is that valuable to God, why would we possibly turn around and give it away by misusing something that God gave us as a gift? And so because this thing that God gave us as a gift can so easily become a curse, Paul would tell you, and I'm going to tell you like I told you last week, in the area of sexuality, you need some restraints. You need to set some boundaries for yourself so that the gift stays a gift and doesn't become a nightmare. So that in your freedom, You stay free and you don't turn around and give away your freedom and you don't become mastered by something else. So that instead of doing everything that you want, you actually get to experience everything that God designed sex to be. So let's get right into it. As we talk about restraints, some of these will sound extreme. I would imagine all of these will sound extreme. To someone, every single one of these things will sound extreme. Some of them will sound, maybe to you, if you've been doing some of this, it will sound like common sense. But what I want to say is this, that everything sounds extreme right up until you get to the moment where you crossed a line that could have been avoided if you would have chosen something extreme right now. So let's choose some extreme things, some extreme restraints, so that we live free in the area of our sexuality. Here's the first restraint. I will choose my entertainment in light of who I want to become and what I want to do. I will choose my entertainment in light of who I want to become and what I want to do. This is TVs, this is movies, this is shows, this is music, this is books. And so here's what what I want to say. If entertainment sparks an unhealthy desire, that entertainment is unhealthy for you. If your entertainment sparks an unhealthy desire, that is unhealthy entertainment for you. See, there are some shows that you should never watch. Not because no one should ever watch them, but because you should never watch them. If seeing certain things causes you to pursue further things, you shouldn't watch those certain things. If you find yourself watching a show and looking up actors or actresses and seeing if there are risque pictures of them somewhere online, I'm just telling you, that is not healthy entertainment for you. If it causes you to think and to be drawn towards something that you know is unhealthy, you should avoid that entertainment. Also, If entertainment leads you towards unhealthy patterns in how you treat and think about and act toward the opposite sex, you got to be careful with that type of entertainment. This is a lot of music. If you're a guy and you're listening to certain types of music where it treats and it talks about women as objects and and uses words that are disparaging towards women, if you listen to that long enough, it will seep into the way that you think about and the way that you treat women and you should be careful with that type of entertainment. This is also a lot of shows that treat men as stupid and as unworthy of respect. And if you're a, a wife who's watching shows continuously that, that model for you that you sh- that, that men are not worthy of respect, I'm just saying, it's just a matter of time until that seeps into your thinking. And once, once it's in your thinking, it will be in your acting toward your 
husband. We should choose our entertainment in light of who we want to become and what we want to do. And this is what some of your parents were trying to tell you as you were a kid. And this is why some of you, you weren't allowed to watch some things that you wanted to watch when you were growing up. And your parents didn't articulate it this well, and you couldn't understand it this well. But here's the principle. What you read and watch and listen to shapes who you are, where you go, and what you do. And so if your entertainment is leading you to do or become something that you don't want to become, or leading you to do some things that you know in your heart you shouldn't be doing, perhaps it's time to reevaluate your choices of entertainment. That's something that every single one of us can do, and that's something that every single one of us should do regularly throughout our lives to evaluate the sources of our entertainment. The second restraint is this, that you do not need a fully functional phone that you do not need a fully functional phone. Let me say to this, someone who's watching this on a phone right now, you don't need a fully functional phone. See, if you've been paying attention over the past eight months to people being home more and going out less and spending more and more time isolated from, our, from, from others, our phones have really shaped our lives and our interactions with people over the past few months. I mean, I think most of us know that. And you know this, our phones don't always take us to healthy places and don't always make us better. One of the biggest revelations, and this made like national news when it, when it happened, one of the biggest revelations early in the pandemic was that a, there was a particular porn site after the first month of shutdowns released a press briefing proudly proclaiming that they had seen a 20% increase in the amount of visitors and overall traffic on their site with something near 90% of that increase coming from mobile devices. Now, I don't, I don't even really know what all of that actually means, but I would guess that that is not a very healthy statistic. And the broader picture reason I bring that up is this. More time on phones translated into more times on a porn site. Because phones don't always lead us to healthy places. And if you're not intentional about what you do with your phone and where you go on your phone, you may end up in some dark places yourself. And so let me just say this to you. You don't need every app on your phone. You don't need every way of communicating with people by social media on your phone. There are certain things in there that, that you know, that you've heard about, that you have, that maybe right now you have on your phone. And when you open them, you know you're opening a source of temptation for yourself. And so let me just say this again. You don't need every type of app on your phone. A few, a few weeks ago, I was, I was trying to get a hold of someone uh, in, in, in the church that I, I knew their phone wasn't working and I was trying to get a hold of them and trying to figure out you know, how to get in contact with them. And so I reached out to someone and said, hey, you know, how can I get a hold of this person? And the person that I asked said, oh, I know they're on Snapchat, so you can just message them on Snapchat. And I said, okay, what's the second best way to get a hold of them? Because I don't do, I don't do Snapchat. I know what's available on Snapchat. I know the dark places a person can get to on Snapchat. And I have no issue with, you know, with, with ever pursuing those things, but I don't want to open a door to going down those roads. And so I don't have Snapchat because I don't need every app on my phone. I don't need every way of social media. I don't need every way I can connect with different people. I, 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 like, I just am going to avoid certain things. And so let me just say this to you. If the app is a pathway to pornography, you don't need that app. If the app is a pathway to pornography, you don't, you don't need that app. If the app is a pathway to DMs that you don't want, or if, like, let's be honest, that you kind of, kind of want, but you know you shouldn't want, that app is an app that you probably shouldn't have on your phone. You do not need a fully functional phone. And what's weird about that is this, is if your phone isn't fully functional, you actually have a better chance of having a fully functional, meaningful relationship and sex life with your spouse or your someday spouse. If you make the decision, you know what, I don't need a fully functional phone, you actually set yourself up for a fully functional relationship and fully functional intimacy 
with your spouse or your someday spouse. You don't need a fully functional phone. Let me give, let me give two, two things that are for the married people watching today. The first thing that I would say to you, if you're, if you're, that's specific to you if you're married, is this, that I refuse to travel or eat alone with members of the opposite sex when it can be avoided. And let me just say this, it can always be avoided. It can almost always be avoided. I refuse to travel or eat alone with members of the opposite sex when it can be avoided. This historically has been referred to as the Billy Graham rule. A few years back, it got called the Mike Pence rule when it became public knowledge that Vice President Mike Pence followed the Billy Graham rule. This is a smart rule. And it certainly it certainly has its critics who say this rule gets used to eliminate women from leadership positions. And by the way, it should never be used to do that. Um, it, it has critics who say, well, how little self-control does a person have to have to think that they can never be alone with a person without jumping them? How unprofessional. And to that, I would say this, that person has the self-control to take the option off of the table before any temptation even presents itself. That person has decided to move heaven and earth and choose some really uncomfortable situations and some really strict rules to make sure that professional relationships stay professional. See, here's why this matters. Most of the affairs that I have ever heard someone tell the story about, and I've heard some stories that I wish I'd never had to hear again, most of the stories that I've heard of affairs, they began with a meal or they began with a simple car ride and things got flirtatious and then things moved from there and then things moved from there and then things moved from there and then it ended up with a family and a wife or a husband and loved ones that were incredibly hurt and reputations incredibly damaged because of something that started over a meal and a car ride. And I'm just telling you, no matter what business you're in and no matter what your circle looks like, you can do everything and every bit of business that you ever need to do without violating this restraint. Well, doesn't it make things inconvenient? Absolutely. Sometimes it means taking two cars instead of one. What an inconvenience. Sometimes it means paying for double the gas. Sometimes it means paying for you know, double the travel arrangements when it, when it comes to traveling. I mean, sometimes it does make things more inconvenient. It's worth it. Well, won't they know that I'm concerned about an affair? I don't know if they'll be concerned about that, but they will definitely know that you value your marriage enough to remove the possibility. They'll definitely know that. So you can imagine, in, in, in my line of work, there are a lot of times that people want to meet one-on-one. There's a lot of times where people want to talk about things going in their life, going on in their life, or talk or, and ask for advice, or sometimes make up a training where, where people weren't able to make up a training as a small group leader or, or, or worship team member, and sometimes you got to meet one-on-one with people. And, and, and that stuff happens in, in my line of work that people want to meet one-on-one a lot. And in 13 years of pastoring in this state, I've had five times where I was one-on-one with a member of the opposite sex. Every single one of those times was at a restaurant or at a coffee shop where I knew ahead of time because I called the person ahead of time. I knew ahead of time that I knew someone who was working at that place. Even when something is one-on-one, it does not have to be in private. You can do every bit of business that you ever need to do and never violate this rule. This communicates to your spouse and communicates to everyone. I value my marriage enough that I will not even make something or allow something else to be a possibility. Here's the the, the second restraint I want to give to married people. I refuse to use social media to reconnect with old flames. I refuse to use social media to reconnect with old flames. See, I, I know putting this here sounds silly because we all know that we shouldn't do this. But here's the other thing I know. I also, the last time that I preached a message, anything like this, I really felt like I was supposed to include this in, in, the, in the message. And I thought it was dumb. And I thought it was silly. And I thought it was something that everyone knows you're not supposed to do that. 
And that week, we had two people in our couple small group, two married women in our small group, who came to small group that, that, that Wednesday night, in between Sunday and Wednesday. And they said, Chris, you would never believe. When you said that on Sunday, I thought that was the most ridiculous thing in the world. And I was like, I agree with you. They said, we thought it was the most ridiculous thing in the world. They're like, but yesterday, I got a friend request from one of my exes, or I got a message from one of my exes. And it was the crazy, I was like, oh my gosh, Chris knew. And I said, yes, because I am a man of God who speaks the word of God and helps the people of God. No, I was like, man, I thought that was the most ridiculous thing when I said it too, but glad I said it. Glad I said it. And here's the thing, it happens more than you think. It happens more than you think. Don't open that door. No one thinks that that door could destroy their marriage, but plenty of people have opened that door and learned the hard way. Don't open that door. And here's the thing, one, one final thing for if, if you're single, uh, a, couple, a couple of restraints, if you're a single person, if you're single, dating, engaged, if you're watching this and you're single, dating, engaged, um, here's the best restraint that I can possibly think of for you. I will cover my head with a burlap sack. <laughs> I, I, it, it seems like that's maybe just the best thing that you could possibly do. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, mostly. Look, I, I can't imagine the amount of self-control and personal restraint that it must take to be single or to be dating in this day and age and to do your best not to cross your personal boundaries and not to cross someone else's else's personal boundaries and not to violate your own conscience. I, like, I can't imagine what it would take to be you and to be living in what you're living in. And that's why in our live services this weekend, we're actually going to be doing a Q&A and hopefully we'll be able to record it and show that and share that with you online for, for our online congregation and those of you who are watching at home online, if you're, if you're interested in that, we're doing a Q&A where people can ask questions and hopefully get some wise answers. But here's, here's one restraint that I would encourage you to think about if you're single, dating, or engaged. Here's, here's, this, here's the simple restraint. I will set and respect a personal curfew. I will set and respect a personal curfew. See, if you had good parents, at some point along the way, they told you something like this sentence. Nothing good happens after midnight. Yeah, some of you knew the end of that sentence. Nothing good happens after midnight. Now, if you had parents who were night owls, they might have said something like, nothing good happens after 2 a.m. I don't know what your parents' rule is. If they like to sleep a lot, they're like, nothing good happens after 8.30. I don't, I don't, I don't know what your parents were, but you had something in your life where you just knew like, nothing good happens after a certain time. And your mama was right because you get tired and you lose energy and so does everyone around you. Because your inhibition gets lower when you get tired, and so does everyone else's inhibition around you. That's why for every one of us, we're far more likely to do something that we regret in the, in the dark of night than we are in the light of day. It's why when you were growing up, your parents gave you a curfew to, to protect you. See, once you're an adult, though, the job of protecting you belongs to no one but you. You have to protect yourself from yourself and from your own lack of inhibition and from others' lack of inhibition. And one of the best ways that you can do that is a personal curfew. This is a time where you leave the party. This is a time where you leave their apartment. This is a time where you end the study date. This is a time where the phone goes on the charger and it doesn't come off of it. This is a fantastic personal decision to ensure that you don't cross your own boundaries and that no one else crosses yours. One of the best things that you can do, one of the best things that Jalen and I did while we were dating is that we established a personal curfew. And I just want to say, that's one of the best decisions we ever made because at night you do get your inhibitions lowered and you are more likely to cross the line if you're not careful. And so we chose this restraint and it helped us to maintain a life of purity during our dating life and during our engaged life. It's a great idea to set and respect a personal curfew. Now, imagine a world 
where everyone just lived by those few things, like just, just did those five things, there'd be a lot less heartbreak. There'd be a lot less broken families. There'd be a lot less divorce court. There'd be a lot more intimacy between husbands and wives. There'd be kids growing up who are, are growing up in the family that they were born into and have mom and dad and there's no separation that's ever been caused by any of this stuff that we know can so easily break apart a family. It sounds like a pretty good place to live. It sounds like a pretty good world to live in. It sounds like a much better world than the world so many of us find ourselves living in. And that's what can happen. It sounds pretty free. And that's what can happen because when God guides your restraints, you end up living in ultimate freedom. So let's allow God to guide us in this area. Let's allow God's word, which was powerful back then, as confusing as it was, to be powerful today, as confusing and as complex as, it, as the world can be. Let's allow God to guide us in the area of our restraints so that the gift of sexuality stays a gift and never becomes a curse and that so we can experience the freedom that God created us to experience even in the area of our sexuality. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are so good that you would create and give us sexuality as a gift. God, I pray that we, every single one of us, we would be wise enough to know what we're supposed to do with what we just heard. God, in this area, there's, there's so much stuff that maybe we should do, so many things that maybe we should do differently than we do. God, I pray that you'd give us incredible wisdom to know what we should do with what we just heard. God, give us courage to get extreme. Give us courage that when it looks extreme and we feel it's extreme, God, that maybe, just maybe, that's where we need to begin. That's the starting point for understanding how to, how to show personal restraint in the area of our sexuality. God, we want to experience everything that you have for us. We don't want to just do whatever we want. We want to experience whatever you have. So God, help us to follow you. Help us to listen to you. Help us to be guided by you so that we can experience everything that you have and everything that you created us to experience as a gift. We love you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.